Give me warp in the factor of five, six, seven, eight. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today, we are here to review Star Trek Picard, Season 3, Episode 7, Dominion. So for all you people listening in, watching the stream, thank you for joining. We appreciate it. Like always, I'm your host, Clarence. And today I have my guest panel here, starting with none other than returning guest, Tasha Pierce. How are you doing, Tasha? I am well. Thank you for having me again. Glad to have you back. I can't wait to hear your opinion on this episode. You know, at first when I saw your low score, which I'm not going to spoil right now, I was a little, I was a little like, that's kind of low, but... When I watch the episode again, I'm I'm kind of on your side. Oh, boy. Listen, I'm excited to talk to Tasha because when she's like just watching and coming in, people probably think I'm crazy because I'm just busting out with laughter over here <laughs> and nobody can see what she's saying. I can't do that while, while I'm on the show, though. Keep the quips coming. I mean, yeah, let's do it. And also on the podcast, of course, that voice there is the Trek story himself. Jonathan Shorts, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. Live long and prosper. Let's do this. And also on the podcast, Kyle Jones, how you doing, man? You know what? I'm just psyched about your video that you did. I feel like I'm still going through a star stream, but I'm here. So you're here, man. That's the first step. Well, you know what sucks? I have terrible bandwidth. It just like it popped up 39 and I just heard music and seen 39 for the whole time. (laughs) You still on dial up over there in the backwoods, Mississippi? I might as well be, man. I'm like a step above a string in a can here. <laughs> I probably shouldn't be streaming video. <laughs> well, you're free to cut it off. Like our other guest here who is not on video and is back, thank goodness, Jeremy Barrow. How you doing, man? Man, I'm doing great. I'm glad to be here. And you're welcome for not showing video because this face is not meant for video. Hey, man, don't put yourself down like that. Man. I'm just stating the truth. Bring that Tom Broco chin on and... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about here. If Vatic can be on screen, you can be on screen. Oh, God. How <laughs> dare you? How dare you? Oh, God. <laughs> See, we're off the rails already. You're welcome. Open a channel. Open a channel. Open a channel. Open a channel. Open a channel to all decks. So there has been some Trek news I'd like to get into first over the past week. First, I'd like to talk about the Starfleet Academy announcement. Officially announced, production set to begin in 2024. And they put together this almost recruitment thing on Instagram. For the first time in over a century, our campus will be reopened to admit individuals a minimum of 16 Earth years or species equivalent who dream of exceeding their physical, mental and spiritual limits, who value friendship, camaraderie, honor and devotion to a cause greater than themselves. What do we think about this announcement? Natasha, you take it first. You're the news extraordinaire here. Just how do you feel about this new show? Okay, so two things. They really, they really hammed it up with the description or the recruitment announcement. But um, the second thing is because they said it's the first time in over a century, it's giving me hope that This one is set off in the 32nd century, and we will still get a chance to see the Discovery crew, at least some members of it, after the cancellation or after the show is done. So hope. I kept hope alive. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody else want to chime in on this Starfleet Academy 
possibly set in the discovery time frame. Are we ready for that? No. I actually am. See, here we go, Jonathan. We're already disagreeing. <laughs> you, you know, I'm wondering if it's more so from a cost-cutting perspective, keep that century, you know, keep that same time frame, but bring in a new set of characters that you're paying maybe two or three characters for what you're paying one character mm. on Discovery at this point. So if you're looking at it from that perspective, you still keep the show, quote unquote, going, but just in a different way. Jeremy, are we ready for Teenage Angst Star Trek? Is that something we're looking forward to? No. <laughs> I've, I've dealt with enough Teenage Angst in my in my home life. I don't really want to deal with it on TV. But I mean, like you know, if it's if it's set during the 32nd century, I could, it could be very interesting. If it's a continuation of Discovery in some way or another, then I'd be down for it. Yeah, to me, it definitely sounds like when you think of what Discovery was this past season, this past few seasons, actually, they're trying to rebuild the Federation. And this is like an extension of that if it's in that time frame. So and I guess I'm down for it. Uh, hopefully they introduce some interesting characters and uh, the writing is good. Hopefully not too much in the young adult area. And, and when I say that, I'm thinking CW and all those shows <laughs> on that channel. Uh, so we'll see. Here's what I, here's what I wish. When I say no, it's not that I reject the premise of it. I just think we have too many individual shows. I would love for them. They have great ideas, right? But let's not take like strange new worlds. And there's a Starfleet Academy season. Like there's an arc in that season that's dealing with Starfleet Academy. Mm -hmm. We go through a section 31 arc. We go through a, you know what I mean? Like I want one continuous show. And the reason I'm I'm feeling like that, like I've been watching, I told you I've been watching West Wing and something that stuck out to me. There's seven seasons of West Wing. Every season had at least 20, 45 minute long episodes. That was a lot of TV for one show. And I enjoy that. I enjoy that good show that lasts for at least six months of the year. Don't get me wrong. I love Trek. I love all Trek. Give me more Trek. But I want to get on board with something I like and it continues on through. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm looking for. I don't want to keep switching modes to the next type of trick. So you're saying you're selfish. Is that what you're saying, Jonathan? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you got to think about like I'm 50. So I'm, I'm getting I'm getting up there. Everything can't be made for me because we still you want Trek to continue long after I'm gone. So. To, to bring in a younger audience, you start with, with, especially this audience, you have to have something that's aimed at them the way they consume TV. Yeah. And then maybe that will make them want to go back and watch the old stuff. We, we got to keep it going. And if we keep making stuff for us, it, it, it will eventually fall off with your generation. Well, when I'm dead, they can make something for them, but I want my entertainment. And get off my lawn, too. But, 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 but Tasha hits on something that I think, you know, is really important, which is, you know, I'm with you, Jonathan, on if it's something that we like, you know, of course, we want more of it. But the nature of TV 30 years ago versus the nature of TV today yes, you still have sitcoms that have, and you still have, you know, broadcasts that have the 20 episodes and whatnot but majority of your premium type content 15 episodes 16 episodes is usually a huge max well and i mean that's fine but can we not do it with the strange new worlds cast i mean we throw in some new people here and there and move it out and you get what i'm saying it could be shorter i'm just 
John, like, John, we already know the budget is very low and it's going even lower right now. <laughs> so, well, isn't it more expensive to produce an entirely new series? I guess so. But again, like Tasha stated, if they're, they're still in that discovery time range, they can probably reuse a lot of sets and assets they already have to, to produce the new show. So, uh, you know, maybe it is a cost cutting thing already and we just don't know it. On to other news in the Star Trek world. We want to get into our review, but just want to cover this other news we have real quick. We got announcements for the premiere dates for Strange New Worlds and other shows, which Strange New Worlds will be premiering on June 15th. Yay. Uh, And it's been renewed for another season. So that's pretty freaking awesome. I can't see, can't wait to see what they actually put out. And also yet another season of our beloved Lower Decks is going to premiere late summer and has been renewed for yet another season. And last, but certainly not least, in my opinion, is Star Trek Prodigy, which has the season two coming up later this year, this winter. So have they said how many seasons they're going to do a Prodigy? I don't know. Probably not a lot because those Prodigy was a lot of episodes, I think. Mm-hmm. So that was 20 episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to see Prodigy continue on. Like you say, for that younger generation, I just think that's a great idea. And like, let's let's if it ain't broke, don't fix it type deal with Prodigy. That's that's just perfect. They hit they hit exactly where I think they were aiming, and I would hope they would continue it. One of you said something, and Clarence, it may have been you, or it may have been Jonathan. I'm not sure which, but one of you said about teen angst. Uh, a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Starfleet Academy will be teen angst. Prodigy is teen angst in a good <laughs> nah, way, and no, and in, in, a, in a good way. Uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not down. I love Prodigy. Don't. I mean, I'm, so I'm definitely not downing Prodigy in any way. But I think they fit that demographic for the teen audience. I think your academy will be a more serious round to it. You know what would make me want to watch Academy the Academy series. And this is going to be very simple. If they had a Boothby character, they got to, right? Boothby equivalent? <laughs> yes. Like that, to me, was the whole joy of going to those Academy episodes. And he never had a huge part. It was, But I just like that. It kind of balanced out that teen angst that you're talking about. Like Boothby being there. And I mean, of course, you're going to get the instructors and the admirals. But Boothby kind of gave you that more mature side of the Academy. We want Boothby to be like a thousand something years old, huh? <laughs> well, I think he was a, well, no, that was a, a species 8472 did that. But I mean, he could still be a hologram. Him like everybody else. So. <laughs> exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, we're just going to keep it going and keep it going. So if nothing else, we'll go ahead and get right into our review of Star Trek Picard Dominion, which was written by Jane Maggs and directed by Deborah Campmeyer, crippled, cornered, and out of options, Picard stages a gambit to trap Vedic and reveal her true motive. A gamble that puts the Titan in the crosshairs and forces Picard and Beverly to question every moral code they've ever held. So, for everyone listening, if you have not seen the latest episode of Picard Series 3, which of course is Dominion, put us on pause, go out, watch the episode, come back, because... From this moment forward, spoilers. Spoilers. 
Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. What gives you the right? You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. The spoiler warning has been dropped and we are back to talk about this episode. And as always, we go right back to Mr. Jones for the beats of the episode. Sometimes serious, sometimes comedic. Honestly, you never know. Mr. Jones, what do you have for us today, sir? Something short, something sweet. So here we go. This episode, logically, is changing. Hmm. I don't get it. So (laughs) (laughs) I get it. I think we're talking about Tuvok, right? Bingo. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Tuvok. There's Tuvok in this episode. Okay. Anyway, almost Tuvok. Almost Almost Tuvok. No. Oh boy. Tuvok with the air quotes. Mm. Oh goodness. So let's just go around the horn and get some high level thoughts. And Jeremy, let's start with you, man. What did you think about this episode? Well, I, I've really enjoyed this episode. I'm really getting into the. This is becoming my far, by far my favorite season of any Trek. Wow, that I've seen, and this episode is it. It, it, it makes it for me, and I feel like y'all are going to try to tear that down later on. But I'm going to stick to my guns. Cal, what do you think, man? You know, I think I'm going to agree with Jeremy. I am really enjoying this. I'm having fun with it. And there is something that I want to see. And this has really nothing to do with the episode. But there is something that I want to see before this season ends. And if they pass on this opportunity, it is a missed opportunity. There needs to be a scene. I don't care if it's one second, 10 seconds, 10 minutes. I don't. But there needs to be one scene where it doesn't have to be on the Enterprise. But each of these characters needs to be standing on the bridge, sitting in their appropriate chairs, just like they did in some odd, or just all be on the bridge together at some point. I'd be happy. But I enjoyed it. Who would you put at the helm? Mm, uh, uh, Jack Crusher. Oh, okay. All right. I figured, I didn't know if you would have a conflict between who would be, who would you rather see, Jack or uh, LaForge's daughter? Sydney to stay in that spot. But yes, I agree with you. That would be an awesome scene. That would be an awesome season finale. Yeah. John, go ahead and hit us with your high level thoughts. I agree with Jeremy. I love this episode. And up until this point, like Jeremy says, we're going to go through it. And I'm sure y'all going to point out some things that's going to make me like, yeah, but this was probably my favorite episode. Okay. All right. (laughs) Tasha. (laughs) What did it you think of this episode? My favorite episode. <laughs> oh, God. There was a lot about this episode that worked. There were a few things that didn't, but the few things that didn't, it didn't take me out, but it did make me look at this episode uh, a lot differently. Yeah, and and as for me, at first, I think I liked it better than than watching it again to review it because once I started to really look at what was going on, I thought some of the stuff just was idiotic we're really running through corridors to trap vedic <laughs> yeah all was miss- missing was the benny hill <laughs> yeah that, that that you know at first i thought it was cool but after after watching it again it really was like this is kind of dumb why why is this what we're doing but overall i did still enjoy the episode i think we got some really good moments we got some characters really out of character, not being themselves, doing some very questionable things, actually, as the description says, going against their moral code. And, you know, people were complaining about Jordy wasn't the Jordy they thought it should, they should be. 
Man, if that's the case, Beverly and Picard in this episode were way off. <laughs> uh, when we come, it comes to what they were attempting to do and maybe would have went through it if it had not been for, for data or data lore in this episode. You know, you just now pointed out something to me that I didn't think about, but they didn't. Yeah, there may be a problem. Anyway, we'll get into it. But 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 at least at least they questioned what they were doing. They just didn't do what they were talking. They at least had that question, and I think that's what kind of sets it apart from doing bad for being bad. Yeah, and, and that kind of sets away my takeaway from this episode. And this comes from a DS Nine episode title, which Bashir says to Admiral. Can't remember the Admiral's name, but into Arma Inum Silent Legos. In times of war, the law falls silent. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you definitely see a little bit of that from Beverly and, and Picard, but also from, you know, what what uh, we, we did to, to poor Vatic, which will, I'm saying poor Vatic, what's wrong with me? Uh, which we'll get into. But let's start with the opening scene. Where is Will Riker? We start with the Titan hiding out in a debris field. Let's talk about this. I feel like I'm Will Wheaton here. Let's talk about this amazing cameo, you know, because I was geeking out. I was really geeking out. Tim Russ coming back as Tuvok. And and before this, the only Tim Russ I got as Tuvok was in those low budget fan made films they did. (laughs) And I'm going to go to the Voyager guy, Jeremy. How did you feel about Tim Russ coming back to reprise his role as almost Tuvok? Oh, I loved it. I thought it was great. The only thing that bothered me, and this is me being nitpicky, was somehow his ears just were not right. <laughs> and that bothered me the whole time he was on there. They were a little extra long. Thank you. Almost too, too long. Almost Thank too you. Long. And that just like, and it made sense once they, they made the big reveal, but that was just, that was almost distracting. You know what? I didn't, I, I did not pick up on that. But now that you say it, like I'm thinking back to myself, that's why I was looking at him weird. Like I was looking at that image and I was like, it's, it's Tuvok and I was happy, but there was something wasn't right. And that's what it was. Y'all suck. He was amazing. He was he amazing. Was. I, I, I loved it. I loved it. But that was that was just a little bit distracting, though. No knock to Tim Russ or Tuvok. Uh, not right. the makeup guys. <laughs> or maybe it was part of the script and, and, and that's that, how yeah, they wanted that, it. That, that could have been intentional. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think it was probably intentional to show age. You know, no, not, yeah. not 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 trying to be funny or anything, but people's physiologies changes as you get older. So that could be part and parcel of why they made him look different. If so, it was life. <laughs> so, so Tasha, I've, I've heard you on record saying that Tim Russ looked very old in this role here. What what are your thoughts on seeing Tuvok? Almost Tuvok. I I was I was with it. Even going with the back and forth to, to figure out whether or not this really was Tuvok uh, about the, the, the appearance. When you look at Tim Russ on the ready room when he was sitting with Will Wheaton, he looks young. They had to age him to make him mm-hmm. look like he did. And I felt like they did a little too much. They didn't have to go that hard. Tim Russ is not he doesn't he's not that old, you know, and, and as far as Vulcans are concerned, he should be one hundred and thirty something. Mm. And that don't have to necessarily be that old in, in Vulcan, you know, uh, as far as they age, the way they age. And we, we got a comment from Facebook user here saying that the ears look cartoonish. If they were intending to show age, I don't think they nailed it, which, you know, <laughs> you, you guys obviously agree here. 
So we do get some information drop here. We get 36 hours until Frontier Day, this day that the whole season has been building up to. Janeway, another Janeway drop here, is preoccupied with preparations and they can't reach her for some reason. Tasha, we saw your voice analysis in this scene as well, which they're trying to find out if this is in fact Tim Russ or t- not Tim Russ, Tuvok. <laughs> in this situation. Of course it's Tim Russ. Tuvok in this situation. So... Yeah, uh, I just love this whole scene. It was great for me. Then the calls back to Voyager with the uh, Kalto and the neural pattern stabilization that was done with Tuvok and Seven. I, I thought all those callbacks were great. Oh, and the Facebook user is Alan Seiler. So thank you for joining, Alan. Hey, Alan. And we got Zombie Riker. I guess is the last takeaway from this opening scene. We got Zombie Riker. And <laughs> that's all we see of Riker in this episode. So I've seen some stills from the next episode, and I think he's going to be prominently featured. So, yeah. Zombie Riker. <laughs> Didn't he like Zombie Riker to you? Yeah. Very. Yeah. <laughs> so let's get in a little bit of this moral dilemma. Beverly almost immediately suggests fashioning a biological weapon. Again, this goes to what kind of what we said up top. It's the start of what felt to me out of character for Beverly Crusher. Any other thoughts on, and we can take it to anywhere in the episode, but let's just start talking about Beverly and Picard and their choice and the moral dilemma surrounded around that. You know, they primed us for it in that scene that you're talking about where she started saying, I could fashion a a, a way of, of tracking them, but it'll be something like targeting their biology, which would kind of be genocidal. So yeah. they primed us for it when when Picard said, oh, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. And then we come to it. We we Now it's time to cross the bridge. And in no time they went from, you know, I'm questioning my moral compass to let's kill her. And I just didn't, I didn't think that there was enough of, of the characters that we know from TNG that that moral code has been lost in in this season in just these few encounters with Vatic and it's hard to believe that that they would go from being the people that we knew to being some strangers in just a matter of moments well my take on it is and maybe call it dumb optimism i don't like like i agree with you like i don't see how they went from one extreme to the other especially the two characters that we're referencing so all that being said I want to say this is part of a grander plan that the two have concocted that we'll see folk come together in the next episode to make this work. They're too smart. They're too experienced to just kind of jump that far from one extreme to the other without it having a goal in mind. You know what I mean? They were going to kill her. (laughs) (laughs) They were going to kill her. Yeah, yeah, but we didn't see them kill her. Because Laura stepped in. True, but I, I still don't think they were going that far. I think there was another plan to it. <laughs> I, I, honestly, John, I think you're giving them a lot of credit. I don't think they thought beyond this plan to get Vatic on the ship. Me, my personal opinion, which to me was also a, a very bad plan, but to say they thought one step further they were playing chess while everybody else was playing checkers, I don't. I don't think they were. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> I felt they were very genuine. And what they said when they were um, when they were trying, they said they might have to, you know, offer. I think they were very genuine as that. Oh, and we got some comments here. 
uh, Hot Topic says hi. Hello. Nice to have you, Hot Topic. <laughs> and we got another comment from ME, which says parents are going to parent. So I like that. That's, that's true. Great. And Kyle, what do you think of that angle on that situation? No, no, no. I, and it's actually exactly what I was thinking is, you know, when you say what we're expecting from Beverly and Canon for this show, we've not seen Beverly in 20 years. A lot can change for a person in 20 years. And she's been with Jack, assumedly, for 20 years. She's a mother hen protecting her young. So let's get into the conversation Jack and Picard had. Jack just comes out and says that he hasn't felt right <laughs> ever. <laughs> like, whoa. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. <laughs> <laughs> Something's going on right. there. Well, as a mother, as a doctor, he's never felt right. Right. So that's that's scary. And that that takes me back to some of our theories, and Tosh, you can chime in here, but some of our theories of this might be something that may have been passed down to him. We get the Eremotic Syndrome. You know, we got that last episode, which personally, I don't think it's Eremotic Syndrome. I think it may be something else that was passed along by maybe the Borg. I don't oh. know. That's kind of where I'm leaning. But what about Jack and just the thoughts that he's felt like this all his life? Well, Jack... There's a time in little boys' lives where you start to change. <laughs> Usually you talk to your dad. So your dad wasn't around. Um, I think this has got a lot to do with uh, with some residual board tech. And and I know I'm 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 about to leap. Let's but, do it. Um, there there is the daddy to to take into account that uh it, there may have been in his original body, there may have been board tech and he has a, a portion of his brain that that was thought to be eromotic syndrome and now we're finding out it maybe it wasn't and now perhaps his son what we're looking at as eromotic syndrome may be that genetically thing that genetic thing passed down by the daddy hmm. mm. so i'm still and I, I wasn't the one that threw this theory out there and i think tasha maybe you were I'm leaning more toward the pyrethes still. And the reason being, it's just it's eerily similar, similar to the reveal of how Cisco came to be. Right. And then, you know what? I'm jumping to the end, but, you know, we get the kind of reveal at the end that, you know, he was never yours. Like that's technically Cisco's story. Like he was he was never really anybody's child. He was spawned by the pyrethes and implanted into a woman and woman ran off like he it. I feel like, and maybe not the pirates, but something similar. And 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 it even goes back to the you know he's able to be empathic now. Yeah, you know that's true. that yeah. it's just, it's just something about that doesn't scream technology to me. Something like that screams you know godlike. To that point, that's what I thought it was at first too. But I think there's just and, and Tasha said that is what. This is well, it's just a lot to explain that they have, haven't even hinted at at all this season. We haven't heard, heard the word pirate mentioned once. So can they give that to us in three episodes and explain it out to where it makes sense from here on out? Maybe, but pr I don't know if this is the direction they want to go. They've been hitting at Borg the whole season. Not really. I mean, no? really, they haven't been hinting at Borg. Let's go first episode when we first saw Beverly. What was she listening to in, in her ship? 
I don't remember. He was listening. That 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 was uh, during the 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 siege when the Borg took Picard. She was listening to the captain's logs from then. Mm. This is first episode. I could do this for every episode that there was some subtle mention of the Borg. Yeah, Hmm. maybe. I want to get into the mention of. Of course, we got the reveal of Picard's body in the last episode, and Picard makes this deduction that they want his body to do something with Jack in order to present a valid ID to make a speech at Frontier Day. While that kind of works to me, that just doesn't, that's a lot of leaps to get. If that's the only reason they want Jack, to me, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No. And, and did, did you guys follow that at all? Or were you thinking they're trying to throw us off the trail a little bit? I 100% felt like that was not it. Like that, it was so obviously not it. Like I just, I don't know. I mean, even our characters should realize that's just not it. Yeah. So we got a comment from Alan in the chat here that a lot of evidence points to the pirates are involved with Jack. And that's why I don't think that's what it is. I think the rates are a bit too much of a deep cut to bring back at this point. And which I can definitely agree with. Again, in, in addition to being a deep cut, it's just a lot to kind of explain to people who don't know anything about it. And we've had so many connective dots in this season and they haven't even mentioned it. So who knows? And we have Larry join us. Hey, Larry, welcome to the show. And we get another comment here from Johnny Fisu. Dr. Beverly was willing to do anything to save Wesley when he stepped onto the grass in TNG. So I think she was playing to character when it comes to her sons. Oh, I like yes. that. Yeah, I agree. And on the other side of that, though, Picard was not willing to do anything. He was willing to do it the right way. Yeah. And that's the thing that throws me off, because to me, Picard has always been almost the moral compass of the ship. He was always wanted to do it by the book. Follow the rules. I, I think of the episode, I keep bringing it up every time we talk about this, is the Hugh episode where mm. Beverly and, and Jordy were the ones saying, this is something we're going too far. Picard had to think about it because Picard was the one who was violated by the Borg, not yeah. Beverly or, or Jordy. And now here we are in, a, in a, the situation is reversed. Beverly has been violated, she feels, by mm. uh, Vatic and her crew, and she wants to to kill this woman. <laughs> you would think that in this day, in this, especially after going through what he went through, Picard would be the voice of reason to say we can't do it that way. That's you know, in in fact, we made her. Yeah, we created this monster, and. We, we can't kill her. But he was the one with the phaser in his head. He was ready to go. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well, let's go ahead and get into the, I guess, the Dominion part of this episode, talking about Vedic's backstory. Well, first, let me re- mention real quick, I want to get into the, the the boss face. We got boss face again. Boss face does a number on Vedic saying that uh, she's malleable, made to bend and so forth. He instructs her to do what's necessary to get Jack saying, we must find the boy or you and your kind will find your own existence meaningless. So why did you say boy like that? I don't know, man. I'm reading. I'm reading. Come on. Come the boy. The, bo- the boy. Find the boy. My southern heritage just got a little bit too much of me. I declare. Uh, oh, dear. 
And we're off the rails again. But Vatican boss face coined by Tasha as boss face. I got to get at the dream prism. Dream prism. <laughs> I was at dream prism. <laughs> <laughs> Any other clue of who boss face may be? I, I feel like it's look. I, I feel like that's Locutus. Mm. I feel like, and and again, I got a video. I haven't, you know, I've got a video that I am working on to prove that this is him. But um, he uses a lot of the same verbiage as as John Luke Picard. This is one I, that that'll be the gimme when Picard said that he wanted to keep Jack on board the Titan. He said the boy stays here, and now we have <laughs> uh, evil boss face saying, you, you know, I must have the boy. Their, their verbiage, the cadence of their speak sounds so alike to me. I could be wrong, but I, I think it's Locutus. Well, well, I mean, in all likelihood, well, to me, it seems like the more obvious thing for them to be doing with the body is trying to recreate Locutus. That makes a little bit more sense than what Picard said in this episode. I just, I, I get it. I hear you guys on the Borg thing, but like when I think Borg, I think strictly technology. I don't think empathic abilities. I don't think of being able to control someone through your mental powers. Like I don't, I don't see how we can tie that to the Borg. Well, of course, the collective talked to each other through tech, but kind of the same thing. But but Tasha, you got an example of what happened in last season of Picard with Gerardi as well. Right when when Gerardi and the Borg Queen had not yet merged board queen wanted to take over this body so she uh she 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 made these endorphins release so that she would better be able to control gerardi and uh because jack and sydney are mutually attracted to one another there are endorphins at play and that that could very well be how he is able to control her we haven't seen him do it to anybody else I'll I'll step back on that if if I see him doing it to somebody else. (laughs) So are we assuming boss face is actual Locutus or a changeling with Locutus thoughts? So uh, like the way boss face affects Vedic, he pretty much, he just breaks her down. Like it's, it's one thing to communicate telepathically, but it's another thing to physically like control a physical being telepathically. I just thought she was talking to the hand. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, let, let me pick up a few comments real quick from Emmy uh, saying the moment when Jack envisions seven of nine glowing in his vision with the tendrils branching out keeps coming back to me. That's another Borg tie in and another comment as well. Picard also wanted to commit genocide in first contact. Oh. All think Vedic isn't completely out of his character. Great point. One that I actually very much (laughs) forgot about. And just a few more to pick up real quick. The boards could evolve. Last season, we saw them do so. Maybe Jack is a true fusion of board and human biology evolving. Oh, now that makes a lot of sense. And that would be the perfect like if we're building up to something huge and shocking. Why not an evolution of the Borg where they cross the technology human boundary? Go go ahead, Larry. You had something to say? This was a great episode. And I said, I was I was thinking about Tasha when I said this. I said, God, I love how sometimes people watch Star Trek, but they don't watch Star Trek. Because it's like, oh, bro, the Federation has tried to do bad things. I saw comments. Somebody was like, well, it's completely 
you know, new trek or whatever. I thought, are you kidding? The Federation's tried to wipe out people before. This ain't nothing new. But I really thought that um, the thing with Vatic was so compelling, you know. But at the same time, in a war, each side is going to commit atrocities, okay? And they're going to blame the other side. Because, you know, in Vatic's defense, it's like they experimented on the Jim Hadar. Yep. They set themselves as up as God. They created a slave race to serve them. Same thing with um, the Vorta. And so I was just like, yeah, it doesn't minimize her pain and suffering she went through. But the Dominion is far from innocent. Yeah, far from having no blood on their hands. But just like every civilization or people in conflict, they always have a good cause to start it with. So the Dominion's good cause, I mean, they were persecuted. They were originally a humanoid species. They evolved to become changelings. And they, like the Federation, went as changelings and explored the universe, wanting to learn and wanted to explore. And they were persecuted. They were hunted. They were tested. They were teased. They were hated. And then, of course, they just want to be left alone, but nobody would leave them alone. So like and one of the founding principles was to be safe or to, you know, to make sure no one bothers you is to control everything. That was their initial goal. But for some reason, everybody just kept poking with them. And that's what you get. <laughs> I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, Starfleet has the same goal, right? They start with the same goal, but sometimes their intentions doesn't always justify what they do on the ends. Yeah. And at this point, I have to think, even though maybe Section 31 is necessary to some extent, there's countless times we can we can think of when Section 31 does something out of line with Starfleet principles. And the fact that they were experimenting on POWs from from uh, the Dominion War, uh, you know, is it going to happen? Probably yes. But man, they created the monster. They built the monster. And, and now look where we are. Oh. And Section 31 is not something you can put back in the box. I mean, unfortunately, the Federation wrote this in to kind of leave them with no overseer and no control. Technically, they don't exist. I mean, even if the Federation president says, I no longer want them to exist, they just look at that as he's just trying to deny us. We keep going. So I want to jump back to Jack and Sydney just for a moment. They are in a situation where the uh, where Sydney and Jack get separated and they have to fight a changeling. And we get this linking of minds after they had touched earlier, after a bit of flirtation, and seemingly Jack was reading her mind while they were in the turbo lift. And then we get to this point where he's doing cop away or whatever. <laughs> she's she's mimicking everything he does. And this is so far out of the realm of anything I could think of almost in Star Trek. But <laughs> Jack, what the heck is Jack, man? Anybody have any more theories or clues or just want to talk about some of the things he did in this episode. Jack got the cheat codes. <laughs> <laughs> up, up, down, down, left, right, A, B. Let's do it. <laughs> oh, boy. So what if Jack is a little bit like uh, the main character from Prodigy, that he's somehow had some other DNA spliced in with his own? Man, LaForge is going to go postal. <laughs> oh, stay away from my daughter. That's why I was with Jordy. I was like, Wait a minute, man. You Picards get into too much trouble. <laughs> and this is my baby girl. 
Like we in the middle of a crisis, and you like, I got this little pad on the other side. Of yeah, the ship. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's in the ship. I just picked out a little, you know, swanky place. You know. Wow. Jack, oh goodness. Come on, goodness. You know what? This is crazy. I wish they would please, please, I'm give Mika Burton a little bit more line here, man. I mean, she really is just there to be a Jordy Shadow. I guess because that's like you know. You know, we got all the books. They're not canon, but, you know, and I guess they're not going to do the sun. I guess Brett's not going to be a thing, which they said that was a possible future. They didn't say it was going to happen. But, uh, yeah, the whole thing with uh, Sydney and Jack, I was just like, man, there are people <laughs> trying to kill me right now, <laughs> trying to kill everybody on the ship. But. Man, she looks nice. No, no. <laughs> well, you, know, you, you, you bond in those moments where your life is on the line. You know, that's where relationships come together. Before I get out of here, I want to pull her hair or something. I, I want to. Oh, oh. <laughs> you know, Sydney can be like, oh, hey, you know, I like you. And I'm going to be like, yeah, let's let's live through this first and then we yeah. can talk. Well, I mean, you have to think about what if you don't live and then you don't get the opportunity. <laughs> well, I'm going to if I don't live, I'm going to die trying to get away. Well, die trying something. Let's pick up a comment real quick. We have one from Alan again. I'm really loving Sydney. She became one of my favorite characters. Lots of fans are talking about there being a Captain Shaw spinoff. And I want that just to be more Sydney, just to see more Sydney, excuse me. So, yeah, I want nice. to see more Sydney as well. She's I, I'm enjoying her. I'm enjoying the whole bridge crew. Yes. If I'm being honest, I think all of them are top notch. I want to actually go to Larry with this next part because we're going to get into data slash data lore and data. Uh, the the mind fight, uh, you know, we have soon and before as memory files in this positronic brain while data and lowers personalities are split evenly. What did you think about these scenes, Larry? And you don't want brought up that Picard's connection to data in the first two seasons was probably more appropriate if, if it was attached to Jordy because Jordy had the relationship. What do you think about these scenes and Jordy reaching out to data slash lore to try to get them to do, to do the right thing here? I love the scenes between Brent and LeVar. You can tell. I mean, obviously, these men have been friends for over 30 years in real life. And these characters, I mean, it was the you get the feels. You get yeah. the feels. Because, man, the, I always said this. They took because Data was the most popular character on the show. And then John Luke was most popular. So they took and they really tried to mesh them together in the movies more but the relationship between Jordy and data they were best friends they were best friends and hearing him say when you died data it broke me Oof. i was like no <laughs> because i've been waiting for that for over 20 some years because everybody's talking about picard's trauma and th like yo this was my best friend man <laughs> and to hear him say that it was wonderful and to see those two wonderful actors take us there beautiful. Jeremy, so Laura ends up helping Vedic in this episode and I was trying to figure out why. Was it just Laura trying to get away from his seemingly confinement or whatever? Why would he help Vedic? Are they connected in some way or they're just throwing us off a little bit? If I had to venture, 
I would say Lord just loves chaos. Mm. And what's a better way to create chaos than let the bad guy have free reign over a ship you're trying to trap them in? Oh, yeah. Because didn't he say the enemy of my enemy in the episode? Mm-hmm. I think he did. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That yeah, makes I a lot totally, of sense. totally agree with Jeremy. I mean, it could have been the Borg. It could have been the Vulcans. It could have been the Romulans. It could have been whoever fill in the blank. I'm doing it just because you want me to do something else. I'm going against what you're asking me to do. He could have, they could have been asking him to blow up the ship and he would have been, no, I'm not going to blow up the ship. I'm going to save everybody because you're asking me to do the opposite. And then picking up a comment from Emmy, Laura wasn't helping Vedic. Laura was helping Laura. Exactly. Absolutely. A hundred percent agree. The only thing I can see that will be a loose theory would be when Vedic or whoever went to get Picard's body from Daystrom Station that they'd left some kind of programming in data lore that would somehow they they probably knew they were going to reach out to him. Like, so they got there and they said, OK, here's data. And we know Picard and data had a relationship and they have to assume that Picard was going to try to connect with data. So why not leave a program there that would activate when she wanted to to help her? Well, what she said was. Her, her words were, you know, the great thing about, and I don't remember exact terms, but the great thing about being fluidic is that you know that all, some I don't remember the exact word, but all rivers lead to the ocean. Like, it, you know what I mean? She alluded to the fact that they may have thought they were getting away. They may have thought they had a plan. And they kept saying how relaxed she seemed to be. Like yeah. there was something else already. She already knew this was coming. She was already prepared. There's something else. And I get it. From what we know of Lore, that's classic Lore. Lore finds any opportunity to help himself, and it's usually by causing chaos. He causes enough chaos, he can usually get away with whatever he's trying to get away with. But in this particular case, Vedic did seem very relaxed in this situation. And like she said, in the beginning, I told you guys we would end up here. And now we're here. I mean, I... I I don't want to say I have to think, but I mean, why can't it be a tie-in? Why can't it be somehow she connected with data, with Lore? They did much better on Vedic. I mean, yes. they really did. They brought her back strong. I agree with that. Remember, I was saying how cartoony yeah. her character was. I didn't feel as cartoonish this episode. Because she's not the normal villain. Like, she can't play the regular villain. She... Vedic is best when she's like that insane person that thinks everything is a game or thinks she's doing good or you know what I mean? Like that's what we got in this episode. Well, they took the time to explain the insanity. Right. Which probably helped that a lot. The last time I think we were talking about it, that last episode where we, we hate her so much, it was very mustache twirly. Like just I'm the evil person. Yeah, like that just didn't work for me. They definitely pulled it back in this episode, and and this the story made her sympathetic in some ways. Let me pick up a few of the comments. Stress free K says it seems like Jack has the cutest type nanoprobes that are able to link with other species. Makes sense. Makes sense. That would definitely um, apply to Tasha's theory. And we have M.E. Sydney's in the speed. Bit of an adrenaline junkie. Being attracted to Jack during moments of danger are right up her alley. <laughs> and another comment from, from Alan. Clarence, I totally get your love of the bridge crew. My favorite character on Discovery is Owo. I like Owo too. Now, Owo has got a little more um, a little more time than some of the other characters. I think Owo and Detmer especially have, have got a good amount of time. 
So yeah, I'm 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 loving those two as well. And another one from Alan. Watching Brent acting his butt off, jumping between all those different personalities is thrilling. The man is an actor. For sure. I have to agree, Brent Spiner has been killing it, freaking killing it, and and just doing it seamless. And I mean, imagine the difficulty of having to be the same android but different in the yeah. same body. Like it he has to still show that data like android with the emotions of lore. That's not something any actor could pull off, especially after this many years, you know? Yeah, I agree. Just phenomenal acting. And one more comment real quick from Emmy. Couldn't Vatic have been relaxed because she believed that they had nowhere in the Federation to run to? They'd essentially, on the down low, cut off all their options. And yeah, they did. They did. They, they're hiding out in debris fields. A joke, Which is crazy. And we're not sure. If there are still changelings on that ship, we don't know who else on that ship might be a changeling. Oh. Yep. So she might be relaxed because she's got an inside person. Mm-hmm. But uh, and, and to that point, I'm wondering if we're going to find out somebody who's been on the ship the whole time is also a changeling. They did the Thelion radiation Thelion radiation thing. Thelion Thelion radiation. Yeah, so they can actually track now which is something we didn't have before so that's going to be i guess the key going forward to eradicating the changelings from starfleet i forgot who mentioned it but i mean beverly crusher has still seemed a bit off i i I was the one that said that yeah do you remember where uh they were hiding what system it was i do not i help enlighten us here chintaka oh the chintaka system yeah yeah, there there were there were like multiple battles in DS9 mm-hmm. during the Dominion War there. So that seemed like oh, that was a subtle nod, but good. <laughs> Wasn't that on the Cardassian border? I think it was. It would make sense since the Cardassians and right. the Dominion were allied. That's like where the siege of like AR558 or whatever that remember that one where where they were doing a lot of grounding. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. That, yeah. yeah. God, that was a good episode. Too. That was a very good episode. <laughs> you know, guys, I continue to say poor Captain Shaw. Shaw just gets, he, he can't catch a break. The man can't catch a break. Tasha, I'm going to go to you because I know your feelings on Shaw in this episode. Is is he still kind of, you know, are you still positive about Captain Shaw? Look, I haven't been as positive as everybody else anyway. And it's like every time we get into a situation where any other captain would have at least been serviceable with their hands. Captain Shaw just, he, you know, he he folds. He, he folds <laughs> like <laughs> a wet blanket. He folds. <laughs> and and I, I don't see the allure in, in him being a captain, especially one who could lead a series. Sometimes I really love him. And sometimes I just, it, all the time I'm sympathetic to what he's going through. As, as Alan says here, He's had a rough time this season, which is 100% true. The man can't catch a break. And you put him in a room with the likes of Uh Star Trek royalty. He's going to look incompetent simply because he's standing next to Picard to, you know, fill in the blank. I mean, you're you're judging not, not, you know, any one of you guys, but as a collective, we are judging him based on who his who he is in contact with. And yes, I feel bad for him. 
And he's facing something that he's probably never come to close similar. And you're you're talking to Picard, who's faced challenges like this constantly throughout his career. I mean, Picard and Riker and Seven and Beverly, like they've all faced this type of circumstances. And Shaw is like, man, what the crap am I doing? This is not what I signed <laughs> up for. I was planning on having a great career, retiring as an admiral. But when you think about it, John, because you and I, we 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 are Trekkies for sure, for sure. In in Enterprise, they they thought the same thing when they first went out. They thought, oh, we're going out here, we're gonna make friends yeah. with all these aliens, and the aliens <laughs> started trying to kick their butt. And then they say, oh no, we need a we need something to fight the aliens. Yes. Well, every captain after that should have been taught the same thing. That was yeah. the first captain, Archer. So right. you would think moving forward, every captain should be able to handle themselves in these types of situations, or they shouldn't be a captain. Right. Do you think maybe that we've just, the Federation has gotten complacent with so many advances and, mm. you know, there's no more enemies to be fought. And so, you know, in times of peace, you kind of lay back on aggression, right? So now you're not looking for those battle-ready, battle-hardened captains. You're looking for those good looking charismatic captains that's going to look good for the federation and for starfleet because you want to recruit right so yeah. i mean you're not going to have those type of people anymore and unfortunately that's not working out for shaw i'm just going to say this the whole problem with shaw is that's the writing <laughs> okay it's the writing okay it's not that it's bad. He's meant to be cannon fodder. He's not meant. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. He's not going to be on there. You got Riker and Picard and LaForge and Data. Nah, man. He's, you're going to be the guy that gets beat up and dragged through the hall. <laughs> you know, because they're not beating up and dragging the legacy characters. That's for sure. Let me ask you guys this question. Does he help the show? Or would it have been perfectly fine if they would have, like, Dropped him off somewhere and kept his ship, and we not seen him. No, I mean, I think he serves a purpose. Yeah, I agree. For the reason that Larry just said, somebody has to do these certain things to progress the story. And I don't know, I like Shaw. I don't know, regardless of what's been said, I like him. And he just needs to get some confidence. I think they could have dropped him off. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? How dare you, Tasha? I'm with Tasha on that. That's why I said the writing. It's like, come on, guys. This guy would not be that incompetent. They're like kind of making him incompetent. Yeah, a little too much. And I feel like, you know, given that and given how much screen time he's getting, there's something else to that. And maybe we don't mm. know that yet. I feel like it's going to be a redemption if if things go in in the way, in the direction that I think they are. So if, if things unfold according to my theory, he will get a redemption in being able to face Locutus and also separate Locutus from Picard. Uh, Picard would true. get rid of that that stain on his legacy. All of this could be closed off if they end up facing Locutus. So I can see a redemption coming for Shaw towards the end. Yeah, let me pick up a few comments real quick here. Uh, another one from Emmy. Uh, seeing Shaw fanboy over the forge was cute, though. His weird behavior does hold up considering what Vatic said about his psychological profile. So it makes sense. Another comment from Emmy. I want Larry. Shaw's character is meant to measure up poorly in comparison to Picard, who, let's be honest, has been sitting down as in many scenes as an old boss. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing last season with Picard was run briskly. So I guess he's sitting down as... 
Walks, I mean, walk briskly, excuse me, walks briskly. And now he's sitting down. So yeah. the man's old. Come on, let's the be man honest. The 80 something. Yeah, we're just glad to see him on screen. Well, well you got a new body, though. So, right. <laughs> To to kind of defend him a bit, I mean, even in TNG, he did he mostly sit down. Yeah, Riker did the and Riker did all of the running. So we kind of end this episode with y'all no longer being captain of the Titan, Vedic captain of the USS Titan, and she says a thing here, saying she wants to bring Jack Crusher where he most belongs. Where does he belong? I mean, I'm, who, who is Jack Crusher? I, that's the question I keep going to. I don't. And I guess next episode, they set us up for next episode to be all about Jack Crusher. So, yeah, should be interesting. Real quick, Cal, if you're there, we always get the thing in Doctor Who, especially in uh, uh, Matt Smith era, is uh, am I a good man? Am I a good man? Is 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 Starfleet a good organization? <laughs> <the> <laughs> You know, that that's the 64,000 gold press latinum question. I don't know. You know, there's good and bad of every organization, and it's really from whose point you're asking the question. So I'm not really, I'm, I'm seriously not trying to not answer your question, but I really think it is the audience that you're speaking to depends on the answer to the question. So, I mean, in regards to Picard, they're thinking, yes, Starfleet is awesome. But if you look at it from the uh, changeling perspective, Dominion War, look at what was done to us. We're under this righteous campaign or possibly, I don't know. But it's it's all in the perception of who's asking. Well, I mean, it's not only that. Look at the Maquis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Starfleet did not handle that very well, right? Like you said, Kyle, it's in perspective. But if you ask the Maquis, they're going to tell you it is a terrible organization. There was something I said in, in, in my review, or was that, it might've been in my review, but that the, that history is written by the victors. History is written by the winners. So even in this episode, we got proof that Starfleet had their citizens convinced that we gave the changelings this cure to this virus, when in fact, that's not the way things went down. So are, is, is Starfleet are they a bunch of ca- of, of colonizers who go to from planet <laughs> to planet and build little planets like themselves? And if you fight against that, you know, you might leave your little planet alone or you might end up like the changelings. Mm-hmm. And, and what's so interesting about that, we we are able to embrace them going out and making colonies and doing all this stuff because of the prime directive, adhering to those rules. As long as we adhere to our standards, it's supposedly supposed to be a great thing but when one part of that falls the whole thing can crumble and i think that's especially what we're seeing here with section 31 and you know what's really interesting and you guys made me look at star trek in a way i've never looked at it before in all my years of watching which is you you take the um, united states progression of manifest destiny of starting with 13 colonies and going from sea to shining sea as they call it well, there were nations and uh, people already existing there. But if you look at it from the history book back to the question you asked me a few minutes ago, Clarence, you look at it from all of the history books we read. It was this great manifest destiny to spread the United States. But if you look at it from the people who were already here, yeah. it's an entirely different context. Remember Arena? I was just going to touch on that. When you said, said that, Kyle... 
It reminded me of Rena with the Gorn. And he said, look, he says, we destroy, he said, you destroyed innocent people. We destroyed invaders. Mm-hmm. It's like, cause the humans are just running around out there. It's like, whoa, you don't know whose star system this is or who's in there. You're just assuming nobody else lives here already. Yes. All right, guys, we're going to start to wrap this up. Pick up another comment from Emmy. Can they please finally pop open the mystery box and get on with the story instead of handling business? They've really been spinning the wheels, sometimes backwards. For me, that's one of the reasons I've enjoyed this season of Picard more is because I think at least at least in every episode, they've given us a nugget. So from that aspect, I think they've done a really good job. But yeah, there's the parts we really want to know, I guess, <laughs> are, are, are the parts they're really keeping the the, car, the handles close to the chest. And yeah, I'm, I'm ready to get on with it and, and see what the deal is, because there's going to be a lot to wrap up. There's going to be a lot to wrap up at the end. Uh, it, I mean, Starfleet is invaded by changelings. How are we going to fix that? Now, again, the radiation thing in this episode is going to help with that. But how far does it go? How how much weeding out will they have to do? And with that, let's go ahead and get ratings for the episode. We're going to start with our guest, Tasha. What do you rate this episode? I, I, I gave it a four in my review, and I'm almost tempted to drop a little bit lower, but four. We'll stay there. Oh, that is a 4.0 from Tasha. Um, and certainly thank you for joining us. <laughs> And and watch you real quick uh, while we have some people on before everybody drops. Just tell people where they can find you because you are one of my most important sources for all things trick. Tell people where they can find you. Sure. You can find me at After the Snap Movies and TV. I'm there on YouTube, on Facebook. And that is my handle on Twitter. Uh, we we do the, the same thing over there. We talk about these these shows in ridiculous detail. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would love to have you. And also, I'm going to plug Alan before he, uh, I think he's going to jump out, but Alan Seiler does his own Star Trek podcast, and they stream live on the night of the episodes, and I love dropping in to hear them from time to time, and also subscribe to their podcast, which is really fun, really, really knowledgeable Trek people on his podcast as well, Earth Station Trek, so definitely check that out, and he says, thank you all for the conversation, I enjoyed everyone's thoughtful perspectives, thank you, Alan. Thank you, sir. Another guest for tonight uh, is Larry Irby. Larry, uh, how do you rate this episode, sir? I am going to give it a 4.5. Ooh. And I'm going to tell you why. Because of the because of the action. They have done really well. I mean, the storytelling's always been the biggest thing in Star Trek, but they've done really well with the action this season, too. And that's why they get a little bump. Other than that, <laughs> I'd be right where Tasha was, but... That, you know, scene with Jack and Sydney, that that was pretty sweet. And the giant changelings, which can't show their faces. <laughs> yeah. It, <laughs> you had to go there, see, man. I was trying not to think about that. Uh, it's the uh, clothes, man. It's the clothes. Uh, and she, she shouldn't have been able to take out a changeling. I don't care if Jack was helping her. She shouldn't have been able to take out a changeling, in my opinion. Why do they look like Mardi Gras? Because <laughs> it's Fat Tuesday, man. Hey, yes. <laughs> Jeremy, how do you rate this episode, sir? Well, y'all didn't break it down as much as I thought y'all would. I'm still going to give it a 4.8 because, and I'll tell you why. The scene where they capture Vatic 
and she tricks them into getting her to the bridge. To me, that was just one of the best scenes that I've seen in such a long time. The acting was great. The background music was great. And oh. it was very intense. And I usually don't feel those kind of emotions for a TV show, but this is one of those rare moments where I felt it. Yeah, it, it definitely was in that I'm going to play music to make you f- have the feels <laughs> in some right. portions of the episode. And again, I go back to was Vatic calculated or did she get help? Because how did she know that the force fields will get dropped to get to the bridge? I, I don't think we've seen all of Vatic yet. I think there's still uh, some more of her coming. I saw all of her along with eight other tubes sitting in the. <laughs> and she still, and she still has the, the the mean mad face attached to her hand. So yeah, and you know that you know that could be guiding her as well. That only comes out in the water for whatever reason. <laughs> you got to trust the process, Jonathan. Just trust the process. Kyle, how do you rate this one, sir? So I'm going to give this, uh, and here's my logic here. But uh, I'm going to give this a four point five. And my logic is seven of nine, air quotes, Tuvok, (laughs) the music of Voyager, and the mention of Janeway. As a Voyager fan, all of that, if nothing else, 4.5. Yeah, and I'm going to go with a 4.4 on this one. I'm backing up most of the thing, um, almost all the things you guys said. Uh, the, The Tuvok scene had me. I got spoiled by it. I got spoiled on it by seeing the thumbnail for yes. the ready room on, yes. on YouTube, which ticked me off. Yes. But man, it was so good. And and overall, I think the episode was good, but I didn't like the plan. The plan kind of got on my nerves. John, how do you rate this episode, sir? I'm going to go with a 4.9. Mm-hmm. Now that can change, which I won't alter it. Go back and alter the recording, obviously. That could change if the next episode does not explain Beverly and Picard's process of thinking. You know what I mean? This is like a burn it, moment, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be a burn moment. Like, they could really let me down mm-hmm. here. But, I mean, other than that, man, I I literally, like, and I say this all the time, and I keep saying I'm broken record. When I sit down and watch something, an uh, episode... And it gets to the point where I feel like I'm watching a movie and it gets to the end and I'm just kind of shocked that it ended. And then I realize, wait, it's a show. It has to continue to next. You know what I mean? You're looking for that ending. You want to wrap up. To me, that's great storyline. To me, that's great acting. To me, that's great TV. And if and that's the whole point we watched Star Trek. Well, me personally, I like to sit down and just be drawn into a fantasy that I may or may not want to be in at some point. You know what I mean? Like, and I want to ignore the outside world and be there. And if you can do that for me, that's great TV. All right, John with the 4.9. And we have a 4.5 from Emmy saying great character interactions. The action was aight. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for the wonderful dialogue. Thank you for joining us. I really, really appreciate it. And also one last comment Maybe those minions aren't changelings. Have we seen any of them transform as Vatic does? Well, then Terry Metallus said they were. I think we saw one when Shaw was going through the corridor. One he shot and went down. Well, did it stand up or transform? Because when he I walked think past, he just the, stood up. That's interesting. I don't think he transformed. But something happened on the bridge. It was some extra changelings on the bridge, wasn't it? 
Yeah. Because Seven was about to in, uh, engage with Vatic, and then those two big ones came up behind her. They transformed out of the goo or whatever. I didn't catch that. Yeah, I want to know more about the henchmen. Maybe we get some of that next episode as well. Thank each and every one of you for joining. Subscribe, please, on wherever you're listening or watching right now. Uh, you can hit us up at Discussing Trek on any and all social medias or fans at DiscussingTrek.com via email. You can also use those outlets to respond to Trek Trivia. John, what do you have for us this week, sir? Hey, all right, Trek Trivia. Well, first, we have a previous question, and we did get a fan of the show to answer. So the previous question was, so we know Brent Spiner drew his inspiration for his portrayal of Data from two sources. One was taken from Riker's reference to Data's Pinocchio, an encounter at Farpoint. What was the second inspiration for his portrayal of Data? We got a response from Mr. Harold Connor. Says, hello, just listen to the podcast. Love this season of Picard. It's the best Picard season so far, in my opinion. And feels much more like the type of Star Trek that I love. The high praise. Regarding the trivia, the other character Spiner based his portrayal of Data on was Roy Batty from Blade Runner. I would have never got that. (laughs) (laughs) That is correct. And to just expand on that, according to Spiner, he said, I like to think of myself as a Rutger Hoyer of this show. But then I like to think of myself as Rutger Hoyer in real life. Strikingly handsome, irresistible to women and an intergalactic enigma. Mm, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So a little bit of Spiner there. All right, so for our new Trek Trivia of the Week, and this is going to be an easy one for us Trekkies, but this is what we got. This is what I'm going to give you. We all know, so I'm, you know, guys, I'm kind of stuck on this Pyraith theory, and we may not get there, but that's kind of where I'm inspiring my Trek Trivia. So there were nine Bajoran orbs that were given to the Bajorans by the Prophets. One of these nine orbs, they housed the Pyraiths. Which orb was it that housed the Pyraiths? So with that, we're going to wrap up this thing. Thanks to everyone for joining on the panel and also the people joining in chat. We really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, hopefully this season ends on a bang because I've been having fun so far. So until next time, guys, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. been listening to the discussing network find out more at discussingnetwork.com hello there i'm gates mcfadden 
In season two of my podcast, Investigates, we go beyond the stars to unearth a deeper connection with some of the most familiar faces in my ever-growing space family. Together, we'll explore the human, not the on-screen persona of these actors and find out some fascinating things you might not have known about. Things that might tell us about who they are or who they think they are. Won't you join me for season two of Investigates, premiering February 21st on all platforms. Can I say that like shut up Wesley? I can just go shut up Clarence?